Peter chapter 1. I'm going to cut this light on right here. That's a little better. First Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read uh, a couple of verses here. Got it, Dave? I said, you got it? <laughs> I heard you keep turning. I didn't know if you could find it or not. Okay. First uh, Peter 1, verse 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, that is your empty conduct or behavior, Received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So I want to preach tonight on, actually just kind of a running commentary on why his blood is precious. Now, one of the, uh, well, we just been through Christmas here and... Uh, you know, one of the major colors of Christmas is red. It's not because of Santa Claus. Uh, even Wikipedia says the color red is associated with Christmas because of the blood of Christ. How about that? Even a blind squirrel can find a nut once in a while, right? <laughs> but um, you've got fairly red pews. We got, we've got real red pews over there. That's, I always think that's because of the blood of Christ, you know, reminding us. Uh, who else would put red seats somewhere except for uh, Christians who are trying to be mindful of the blood of Christ? But really, one of the distinguishing uh, doctrines between Bible Christianity and liberal or apostate religion is the view their view of the blood of Christ. Uh, mainline Protestantism is uh, often called uh, Bible Christianity, a bloody religion. They said that with disgust, and uh, I know it was even back in the 70s, before then, a lot of the mainline Protestant churches were taking uh, militaristic hymns and songs about the blood out of their hymnals, and in fact, um, I just read this the other day, a survey was shown that the Presbyterian Church, PCUSA, that's what I grew up in, the Episcopal the Disciples, and the United Church of Canada and the United Church of Christ hymnals have now deleted songs about the blood atonement. In fact, the, the uh, 1989 Methodist hymnal did not have one reference to blood or to the atonement. What do you sing about? You don't sing about those things. But I saw, too, recently a, a PCUSA uh, denomination banned uh, the song in Christ alone, um, now, you, you're, you may be familiar with that song, you may not be. It's great doctrinal words to it, but usually it's done in a contemporary music. But they banned that song from any of their hymnals because of this phrase Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. They, they said it was. Uh, unacceptable because 
talks about the wrath of God being satisfied by Jesus' death, the bloody atonement. Jesus, I mean, Peter here said that the blood of Christ was precious. Uh, that word means extremely valuable or you know, of great price, highly esteemed. And uh, yeah, if you, this time of the year, people usually think back over what's happened to them this past year. And sometimes it's, uh, you think back even further back, if you're my age or whatever, and there's still things that trouble you, things that you've done, um, things that have happened to you. Um, and so I want us to look at this. I want us to just look at a lot of the references in the New Testament, not quite all of them, that have to do with the blood of Christ. Now, there are plenty of other references to blood, um, like um, even though the Lord's Supper would be included in that, but I want us to go, uh, really the first one is Acts chapter 20, if you'll go there with me, Acts chapter 20. So we're asking this question, why is the blood of Christ precious? And the Bible tells Acts 20 verse 28 here, Paul is uh, speaking to the pastoral staff of the church at Ephesus. I don't know if that was two or 20, uh, but it was a plural of preachers there. And he says to him in verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves. So those men, those preachers, they were take heed to themselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. So that would be their local flock. He didn't make them overseers of, of a universal body or anything. To feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now, there are going to be a, I'm going to mention a number of words in here, and there are some words repeated to English words, but they they come from different or translate different Greek words. And the word purchased here it doesn't really have much to say about actual buying in, in the sense. But it's really, it means to make it ours, to make it mine, uh, to acquire for ourselves. So it's the idea of personal ownership. He purchased that church, the church at Ephesus, <clears throat> and also every New Testament church, every church is made up of, of uh, people who have been saved and born again, you know. So he, he, with his blood, he acquired the church at Ephesus, the Lord Jesus did. It became his possession. Very personal thing there. Of course, the payment was personal. Uh, go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. It says in verse 9, Romans 5, verse 9, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Justified means to be declared righteous. Uh, if you go to a court of law and the judge rules and he hits the gavel and says not guilty, that's exactly what justified means. On this case, it's the judge of everyone, God himself, declaring a person who's committed multiple Un innumerable sins, he's declaring them not guilty. 
on the basis of Christ's blood. Being justified by his blood, that payment's been made. The result of that is we're saved from wrath through the Lord Jesus. Um, I, I tell people think much about the wrath of God these days. But apart from the blood of Jesus Christ, there is no forgiveness. And the wrath of God in hell is, is, you know, once you're there, it's inescapable. And the torment of that place is something we can't even imagine. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. Now this is a reference to uh, the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, he says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Communion, that's what we used to call it when I was growing up in the, in the Presbyterian church, communion. I never knew why. Uh, but communion is a translation of the word that's often translated fellowship. So when we're taking the Lord's Supper, and the Jews, we are fellowshipping in or participating in that sacrifice that Jesus made. We're doing it in a ritual way, but we do it because we have um, participated in that purchase and in that cleansing that it provides, the blood of Christ. Um, that's why we have, um, you know, the Lord's Supper, we don't allow those who have, have a definite profession of faith and testimony and are, who follow the Lord and have been added to a church. But um, we have communion with that. That's something precious to us, something we participate in. Look, go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. Colossians 1, 14. I, I believe that Ephesians 1 verse 7 has the exact same words in this verse, but I've got another one in Colossians chapter 1. So Colossians 1 14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now again, there's some different words that are translated redemption, but it's talking about deliverance. We've been bought back. Uh, delivered from the sin and he says that redemption brings about the forgiveness of sins so again the only reason that you or I most people in America most religious people most professing Christians think that we have forgiveness because God is gracious he's good and you know you go to him and ask him forgiveness he'll just forgive you and that is a total lie that is a, that's a lie from the pit of hell he will not forgive. Apart from the blood of Christ and Christ paying for our sins, there is no forgiveness. In fact, we'll see that a little later, but uh, it's very plain. In him in whom we have redemption through his blood, the shedding of his blood on the cross, even the forgiveness of sins. Thank the Lord. Now look at verse 20 in that same chapter. It says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross... By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth 
or things in heaven. Now, the psalmist says that God is angry with the wicked every day. And it says there is no peace to the wicked. Isaiah says that. But so God is angry with sin, sinners. He has created a place, a lake of fire that burns forever to punish people who sin against him. Just once. That's all it takes. But even though God is angry, now we all we all know what that's like. Somebody does something to you or they insult you or they do something, you know, and you have this animosity toward that person. But it says here that Jesus made peace with God through the blood of his, his cross. In other words, he was, uh, see, what's the word? Uh, I'm thinking flogged. That's another synonym for it. When they beat him with the whip. Scourged, okay. So they, they beat him and scourged him and then crucified him and all that shedding of his blood on the cross the result of that is there was peace between God was reconciled. It says there, having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto him. Now, you know that when Adam sinned, God cursed the earth. All of creation is cursed. But in Christ's death, bloody death on the cross, God all those, every, all of creation was reconciled back to God. Now, what what that means? It sounds the opposite of what it is, but that is that God is now willing to forgive. You know, you when you go to confront somebody, um, you're wanting them to say or do something that will allow me me to change my mind and say I'm willing to forgive you. Well, this is what changed God's mind toward sinners is Jesus paid the cross the man we're at odds with God because we, we we hate him don't want to obey him we're sinners he's at odds with us over that sin that rebellion that rejection of his love and his mercy and everything but when the cross was when Jesus shed his blood on the cross God became open to forgive he was now reconciled. He's waiting for us to be reconciled to him, but he's now reconciled. He's, he's willing to forgive. Um, all things, all of creation is going to be redeemed one day, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. But uh, this is the only reason we have any hope. The word reconciled there means to restore friendly relations or to call back into union after being alienated. So that's, that's the way God is now. Uh, go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Now this one actually states something I've already said. But the book of Hebrews, of course, written to Jews, probably the church at Jerusalem. Uh, you know, a massive church in just a few days after Pentecost, but then there, all this persecution rose, and uh, 
A lot of the church had to scatter. Uh, those who remained in Jerusalem, they, they wouldn't have, their families would have turned against them, their friends. Uh, probably by the time Hebrews is written, it's hard to get a job if you're a professing Christian, hard to get people to do business with you there. And so a lot of people are actually apostatizing. They're turning away from the church and they're leaving. Uh, when it says, forsake not the assembling ourselves together, it says what? as the matter of some is. They were experiencing that in that church. And so Paul wrote the book of Hebrews to compare Jesus with all the Old Testament and show how he's better. And so he's comparing the sacrifice of Christ with the Old Testament sacrifices. And so in the Old Testament, almost all things are by the law purged with blood. You know, when, the, when they established the tabernacle and then the temple... They sprinkled everything. They sprinkled. They made all those beautiful clothes for the priest, and then they sprinkled them with blood. They'd come out and they sprinkled the people. They go inside and they sprinkle the the mercy seat. It's it's just like the liberals say. It was a bloody religion. You just think on some days there were hundreds and thousands of of animals, lambs, goats, oxen that are slaughtered. And so a, a very bloody religion. He said, almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. There's no other way to have forgiveness. So remission and forgiveness, but the idea, of course, is, of remission is, is like uh, uh, you get a bill in the mail and it says, please remit to and they give you an address and so forth, that means you send it away. And when we come and we're forgiven, our sins are sent away as far as the east from the west, what the psalmist says. But with, without Christ shedding, there's no remission. There's no way you can get rid of the guilt of your sin. He sends away guilt, though, by his shedding, shedding of his blood. Look at chapter 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now again, this is pictured in the Old Testament. One day a year, one man could go into the Holy of Holies in the temple. He had to go over under a thick curtain, which was actually, of course, torn on the day that Jesus died on the cross from the top to the bottom, the Bible says. But one day a year, a high priest would go under that curtain and into the Holy of Holies, and he took blood with him, and he would sprinkle it on the altar because he had to do it for his own sins. And they would come back out and get some more blood, go back in and sprinkle blood for the sins of the people. Um, but that's the only way he could go in there. You can't approach God. That's where the, you know, the Shekinah glory, the light of God, the word of God is stored there. That's supposed to be the place where God's presence dealt with Israel and in the wilderness and so forth. Um, but now we can approach God ourselves. We don't have to have a priest. 
any priest in the New Testament is is a total misunderstanding of what a priest is or just, you know, an absolute rejection of Bible truth. Jesus is our high priest. He's already entered into the holy place. He's prepared the way for us. And we now have boldness. Now, when I was a kid, they used to spank in the public schools. In fact, there was this uh, rumor that our, pre- our principal had an electric paddle. I'm not kidding you. Of course, there were plenty of teachers that had paddles. They weren't electric, but they applied them to the seat of knowledge. But if you got called up to the principal's office, you didn't go in there. <laughs> Let me add him. You were, you were going in there afraid. But to think that somebody who has sinned repeatedly, unrepentantly, and said, I'll never do that again, and done it over and over and over, to go into an almighty God who is absolutely holy, he says we can go in there boldly. Now, probably we don't think much about that because we're used to praying. But if we really understood how holy God is and how powerful he is and just like he said you better we better fear him who can who can burn who can destroy body and soul in hell it's a fearful thing to come into God's presence but we can do that boldly because Christ shed his blood for our sins and we can go to him and we can even do things like pray about a parking place who would trouble God with that? We feel so comfortable, and that's all because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, Hebrews 13, verse 12. Which, by the way, I, this is probably a bad illustration to use, but how many have ever seen The Wizard of Oz? <laughs> There's a scene in there where... Uh, I remember the scarecrow was afraid. But they go in there, approach the, the great Oz's throne, you know, and there's smoke going up and all this kind of stuff, and they're all scared to death. To approach the throne of God would be, that's, that's a real reason to be afraid, apart from the blood of Christ. But here, 13, verse 12. He says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Now, sanctify literally means to to cleanse or to purify or to make holy. And the Bible, we know, has the idea of setting something apart. So, by Jesus' blood that he shed... I mean, he was, a, he was a common criminal. It was like taking the trash out. They took him out of the city to crucify him so that he wouldn't defile the city of Jerusalem. And there his blood was shed um, that we might be sanctified. Now, be made holy. We're not holy. 
but he makes us holy before God. He cleanses us. And not only that, but he now we've been all washed up, cleaned up, and prepared so that we can actually serve God and be a part of his family. All right, 1 John 1, 7. Out of this point, everything we have said about the Lord's blood is entirely on Jesus. But here is one that makes some reference to our involvement in this. 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, in, in chapter 1 there of 1 John, it talks about us having fellowship with God. And it says, if we have fellowship with God, then we have fellowship with other people as well who know the Lord. So this is a, a continuing effect of Christ's shedding of his blood on the cross. Uh, we have cleansing from sins we've committed since we were saved, since we're completely washed. It's just like, uh, kind of like the illustration that Jesus told Peter. Jesus was going around washing everybody's feet, and Peter objected. And he said, uh, well, if, you don't, if I can't wash your feet, I have no part. You have no part with me. And he explained, he said, well, not, not my, just my feet, all of them. He said, well, a person that's washed doesn't need to be washed again, just his feet. Now, in the Middle East in that time, and in Israel, they, you know, some of you may do this, but Orientals today, they take off their shoes when they go into somebody's house or into their own house because they, you know, they're dirty. Well, they wore sandals in Jesus' day, and so you took... They, if you somebody invited you to their house, they provide water where you could rinse your feet off, wash your feet off. Or if they had a slave, or if they had several slaves, the, the lowest slave, it was his job or her job to wash the feet of all guests that came. And so they would, if they were, let's say uh, we were having you over for a big meal or something, uh, you would hopefully take a bath before you came. <laughs> Uh, particularly if you've been working construction, you know, or sewer or whatever, you know, or out with the birds. You know, we'd hope you'd take your bath before you got there, but then if you're walking barefoot on unpaved roads where animals, donkeys, and everything else have been walking, then I would want you to wash your feet when you came into my house. But you don't need to bathe the rest of yourself. That's all right. You've already been cleansed. And so he says, if we walk in the light, as we obey the word of God, we have fellowship with each other. I think actually that's referring to God right there. In the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleansed from all sin. It must be referring to the people there. I don't have the context. Um, cleanses from all sin. We can continue to uh, confess our sins. And you know, a lot of times a new Christian, they'll, they'll, they, they get saved, they're Deliver some 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 of the terrible things they've been they've done, and then they sin again. 
and they think maybe they've lost. Well, we don't need to be washed again in the full sense, but there is daily cleansing. If we're trying to obey his word and we obey uh, the command two verses down, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. And that cleansing is on the base of that blood. It's on the mercy seat. I think it's Hebrews chapter 12 that talks about that. Uh, go to Re- Revelation chapter 1. Verse 5, Revelation 1, verse 5. It says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the principal of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Actually, that's a pretty grotesque picture. to be washed in blood. But if we take that washing that removes all guilt and all stain, all defilement, that's a wonderful thing. Um, You know, there are some real simple pleasures in life. One of them is eating good food. Another one is taking a hot bath and washing off grime. But in this case, it's not dirt and earth. It's the grime and the defilement of our sins. And it says that him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Not, not sprinkle, not, not taking a little, uh, um, what do you call those little wet, uh, wet wipes. It's not taking a little wet wipe and, you know, wiping off something. We're talking about a full bathing, washing. Look at uh, chapter 5, verse 9. I'm going to tell you, this is a voluminous song that goes up here. It says, They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So here is... Here's a group of people who were rebels and sinners and were a part of the earth, the world system, and rebellion against God, having Satan as their father. But now they've been redeemed and they're in heaven and they're singing about it. And they're still only a, a minority. And they said to the Lord that he was slain and redeemed us. Now, the word redeemed there, uh, it has the meaning really of doing business in the marketplace. 
Um, in other words, we were up for sale like a slave. You, you've probably seen in the history books or something, uh, maybe on a movie or something, where they sold slaves and people would bid for them. Just like they, uh, when I was down in Charleston, we, I think we went by a place there where they had, in old Charleston, where they had done that. They'd sold people as slaves and bidding for them. And that's, that's the way we were as sinners. Uh, our, our souls for, were for sale as slaves. And yet he bought us. He went and did business and bought us out of that marketplace, that's, um, the slavery of sin and so forth. And he paid for it with his blood, the blood of the Son of God. Look at Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. So here is John asking a question of one of the angels. He asked him who these people were, and he said, I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. Actually, the slave, I mean, the angel asked him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their, their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So there were people there during all that great tribulation when the Antichrist is ruling. You think we got fake news now, just wait till then. But there are still people who, who believe and they're watched and their garments, the wedding garments, the garments of salvation are white because of the blood of the Lamb. And then Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. It says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Well, again, the blood of the Lamb is what brings us into fellowship with God. It provides a way where we can be restored, where we can receive life from Him, where we can have the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. And this is the way we can overcome Satan, the deceiver, the tempter. And that's what they did, is because of the blood of the Lamb. that brought them into fellowship with God and so forth. Now, So, false religion makes fun of, or I guess hates and condemns the blood atonement. It's like the Methodists, they used to sing songs like, Would you be free from, the, from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. They used to sing, but not anymore. And so they go to church and they do good works. They try to be good people while they lie and drink and everything else. But a person could be a terrible sinner and sing those songs with great joy. You see, the blood of Christ was precious. It was precious to Peter, extreme value, because there was a time when Peter sinned terrifically against the, his Savior. There's a time when he 
told the Lord Jesus that he would never, ever deny him. And then he went and did it. And he didn't do it before a soldier. He did it before a, a little slave girl. And then he had to watch his Savior being crucified for his sins. But all that was washed away because of the preciousness of the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ was precious to Adam and Eve. Adam lived to be an old man, a few hundred years old. And all that time that he lived, he had the opportunity to think about what he had done. And how he brought the curse upon all of his children. The curse upon all of creation. Let me tell you, that blood was precious to Adam and to Eve. She thought about how she persuaded her husband to sin against God. It was precious to Noah. Noah and his family were in the ark, and they were there to hear. The people had mocked them, started coming and trying to get in when it started raining. And he'd brought in seven instead of two of all the other he brought in seven of sacrificial animals and that blood was precious to him the blood of the Lord Jesus that blood was precious to Isaac he thought he was going to lose his life but as a lamb as a substitute for him his blood was shed that blood was precious to David great man of God who sinned so terribly against Bathsheba and her husband. See, what's his name? Uriah. Committed adultery with Uriah's wife and then had him killed. That blood washed away that sin. The blood was precious to Bathsheba, no doubt. It was precious to Solomon. Think about how greatly he sinned. It was precious to Rahab, a woman who lived and made a living from selling herself. It was precious to Samson. It was precious to Paul. There was Paul killing Christians, hating them. And the Lord shed his blood for Paul. And all that sin and murder and hatred was washed away. It would be terrible to um, go through life and know you, you were guilty and there's no forgiveness and no cleansing. But no matter what a person has done, I've mentioned some terrible things here that people have done. Some of the greatest people in the Bible. But because of the precious blood of Christ... They could go and just like we can. If we've believed on the Lord and we've confessed our sins, we can enter into the very presence of God and not be afraid and be accepted in the Beloved and to have fellowship and become the children of God and have the Holy Spirit Himself live within us. And know that our sins are gone. They're buried in the depths of the deepest sea. 
We don't have to be crippled. A lot of people are crippled by past sins and things that have happened in their lives, but the precious blood removes all the stain, removes all the guilt. And we don't have to bear any responsibility for it because Jesus took that sin on himself. He became sin for us. So we come to the end of a, a, another year. It's a wonderful thing to be able to enter into a new year washed completely and know the Lord loves us and accepts us and receives us and to know that when we do sin we can ask His forgiveness and that blood cleanses us His ongoing power to make us acceptable to God boy it's, it's precious wonderful there's nothing of greater value than the blood of the Lord Jesus you need to remember that when, when you do fail when Satan brings up old sins brings up things from the past we ought to be washed cleansed from, our, cleansed from our mind that's the reason Paul can say forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things for before because of the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Father, how I thank you for the precious blood of your Son and how I thank you, Lord, that it still has cleansing power. And Lord, I don't know how your people have come here tonight. Maybe some with some heavy burdens. Maybe thinking about past things. But I thank you, Father, that the blood of Christ does cleanse us from all sin. And I thank you for that wonderful communion that we have with our Savior because he shed his blood for us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.